That's what caribou latte. calls them. Yep, fala latte and a ho ho mocha. It's a ho ho mint mocha, but it's a oh ho-ho mocha. shit. When they announce it, they're like, "All right, dark ho ho mocha." <laughs> yeah, and the weird thing is, I was expecting—I don't know why—I was expecting it. I I placed an order at Caribou. Mm-hmm. Caribou, 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 <laughs> Minnesotan, Caribou. I placed an order at Caribou for different coffees, or four—I guess two of them are the same. But yep. Four coffees and mm-hmm. a sandwich. And I was standing there waiting and I was expecting them to come out with the four coffees and the sandwich just yep. all together in one. And then I'd put them on the thing. And they came out like one at a time. And so they came out and they're like, all right, here's the, it was a waffle sandwich. Cool. Yeah. Um, like waffles with syrup in it and everything and sausage oh. and egg. And I've only had their breakfast sandwich. burritos and those are really good those too. Those are good. I really like the, the waffle sandwich though. Highly um, recommend. Yeah. Yep. You heard it um, here first, listeners. Oh, no, we're recording? Yeah. <laughs> I, no, I, um, but actually, isn't Caribou just a Minnesota thing? I think so. I don't know. There are some in North Dakota, and I remember when it opened, one opened in Minot. It was like a huge deal. A big deal, yeah. Yeah, because uh, they were like, woo! Uh, it's all uh, Starbucks everywhere. Starbucks yep. or Dunkin' Donuts in a lot of places, actually. Dunkin Dunkin's more is, of an East Coast thing. Yeah, it's Because there's popular. like Dunkin' every corner you yeah. go out there. Yep. And Starbucks is still winning in most, in, in a lot of states. Dunkin' is winning in some states. Um, I don't know if there's any other coffee chains that are out there that are, are uh, competing. There might be. But. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? Uh, maybe Dunbro's something. Oh, I hate, something like that i hate dunn brothers i don't know if i've ever actually had their coffee i don't um, i don't love it have. caribou minnesota is you know the popular one it's because it was founded here huh it was founded here in edina yeah yep and that's where their headquarters is uh on the highway 100 in brooklyn park minnesota pride yep <laughs> top of the thursday morning that's your coffee top coffee in- morning All coffee right. insights irish today's story does take place and in- i'm kidding does take place in a coffee shop? Ireland. Oh, in a coffee shop. Ireland. <laughs> oh, kidding. there we go. I'm kidding. What part of Ireland? We like Ireland. I wonder if there is a coffee murder. <laughs> coffee murder? Or coffee murder. A coffee killer. Oh my God, there is. The okay. bandit burglary. That is for a later time. <laughs> and it, ironically, it does take place in the same country that today's story is on. So. All right. So where is today's story, Sophie? Welcome. Salamat pagi. Actually, that's wrong because that means good evening. I don't know how to say morning. Depends on what time they're listening. It could be evening. That's for true. Them. That's yeah, true. We'll that's see. true. So it's Thursday, everybody. Good and morning. We're back with uh, Sophie's Choice Podcast. I am Mike and uh, this is Sophie. Sophie, please tell us what uh, what story we're talking about this week. So this week for Sophie's Choice, I'm sorry to bum you out, Mike. It's my November monthly child abuse advocacy case. Oh, okay. <laughs> You're like... November monthly what? Oh. <laughs> yeah. Something scary is around the corner. Child advocacy. Yes. Okay. This is my child abuse That's advocacy case. That's not going to bum case. me out. I'm, I'm all here for child advocacy. Oh. Yeah. yeah. I, I just you, also Mike. find it you know, creepy in movies when children are haunted. Because ah. I like children. And when they are creepy, then I'm sad. I... 
hate you know that my biggest fear is zombies which is irrational and anything that's not a toddler crawling on the ground kids adults you watched me oh, kick no, zach mine, in the face mine is, mine is haunted children uh, yeah, anything with haunted children like possessed children like sinister like, that, yeah no like sinister. i i not fucking fan. not a fan yep. no <laughs> little creepy murderous like, children no, children should be cute children should be you know good and pure yeah. and nice and if you're crawling around on the ceilings and the walls, I'm going to kick you in the face, cute or not. It's just, I don't, I yeah. don't like it. Yeah. God. Okay, Lining so. Lining up the punt. This, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Get off that fucking wall. <laughs> this is the story of Endeline Megawai. Oh, how my life got twisted upside down. Oh. Sorry. Go ahead. Interrupted. Oh, that's okay. This is the story of Endeline, and I didn't. Me get clear pronunciation on that last name. I did watch a video to try to help myself okay. with the pronunciations. It probably would have been better if I just reached out to my mother, but <laughs> uh, anyway, this is better known as the missing child of Bali. So the missing child of Bali, the missing the child of Bali. Yeah. The one. So on the afternoon of May 16th, 2015, Marguerite Megua went into her daughter's room to make sure that she was ready for dinner that evening, only to find her daughter's room empty. Marguerite then checks the front yard to see if her daughter was playing with neighbors, only to be met with silence. She calls out for her daughter. Angeline, answer your mama. More silence. Feeling panic rise in her throat as any parent would, she hurriedly pads over to the live-in male housekeeper August's room. According to an episode of Lifetime Asia that did a series of interviews with police officials and witnesses, August claims to have last seen Angeline earlier that morning when he asked her to borrow a pencil. Yvonne Megui, then 37, is Angeline's older sister, recalls of that day... Her mother called her, stating that she could not find Endeline. She says at the time she remembers thinking, okay, you know, she's being a seven-year-old. She's probably just playing with friends or at a neighbor's place. Hide yeah, hide and seek, you know, just lost track of time. She's a kid. Right. Although a kidnapping must have been on Yvonne's radar because she later states that she feared what she feared most was a kidnapping. Yvonne rushes home to find her mother in an understandable panic with their domestic helper, August, equally as worried. Yvonne asks her mother if she's looked around the neighborhood for Angeline, but Marguerite has only checked with close-by neighbors. They then ask August to wait at the house in case the girl came home. While Yvonne goes to the police to re report her younger sister missing, their mother in tow. According to a Den Pasir News or Tribune Bali article by Putudiwi, Adi Dimianti. Ironically, I put a little note. One of my aunt's names is actually Dewi, which means two. Because usually in Indonesia, they name their kids after like birth order, which is kind of... Anyway, you're number one, you're number, you're number two, two, yeah, you're number three, you're number five. Wait, what? Yeah, <laughs> my father used to do that when he couldn't, like, Morgan, you one. It's it's a common theme in my family to uh, kind of mix up names. My uh, grandma used to say stuff like, uh, cat, crit, Lord, Emily to my sister because that's oh, you know, oh, amongst the cousins, Lori are my aunt's names, okay. Aunt, aunt and mother, and then my sister's Emily. So, cat, crit, floor, Emily, because she's thinking of the other children that she's usually talking to. And so then my mom would continue oh, to Oh, I was like, and I thought you meant, like, looks-wise, because I was like, I feel like Emily looks a lot like your dad. Like, I think all of you kids look a lot like your dad. You should see pictures of my mom and my sister next to each other. They look, they look like twins. It's great. My mom would do the same thing with, uh, with my brother and I. My brother's name uh, is Matthew. Oh, yeah. And then it turned into Matt, Mike. Other child, you. 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 <laughs> you, other child. You there. Yeah, so oftentimes we were other child. Just, she's thinking of all of us and other one child. of us and other child was, yeah. <laughs> and there's only three of you guys, so Yeah, that's... <laughs> I know. Matt, Mike, you, other child. 
<laughs> and then eventually it just turned into like just using our last name and just yelling that out at <laughs> you. So Yvonne was actually the one to file the missing persons report of the little girl, not her own mother, okay. Marguerite, which mm-hmm. I thought was a little kind of, I just thought that was kind of weird. Well, I mean, the mother probably thinks, you know, like, all right. Let her down, daughter handle it. it. Like, you know, we'll be fine. And the younger sibling or the younger person, the older sibling, uh-huh. more prone to panicking and more like, all right, we have to do something about this now. Sure. Yeah. Okay. That makes more sense. Even though Yvonne was the oldest of Marguerite's three girls, she was no longer living at the home. The police immediately dive into a full missing persons investigation, which is really relieving. I mean, it is 2015, but normally I'm used to missing persons cases. They're just like, wait, by the the wayside. Yep. Yeah. Beginning with the family and working their way outwards. Investigators asked the family crucial questions to try and retrace Angeline's last steps. When was the last time Marguerite saw her daughter? What was the last thing Angeline did? What was she wearing? What kind of shoes did she have? What kind of mood was she in? Did she have any problems arise before she went missing? What kind of mood was she in? That's an interesting question. Yeah, I thought that was kind of weird, too. Yeah. I don't know if that's typical guess, in Indonesian cases, I guess. Well, maybe not just Indonesian cases, just younger children. In general? Cases, if they oh. were in a bad mood or, like, I want to run away from home. Yeah, I was just actually and, just thinking that. Right, I was like, know, maybe. I've, a... I've been in that mood before. I'm going to pack a bag and leave. <laughs> yeah, I told I told my dad I was going to Legoland. Yeah. yeah. That's actually a good plan. <laughs> I told my dad I was going to Legoland, and I had the brochure in one hand. And like a, a stuffy or like a, you know, a guy, stuffed animal or something. Oh. The other hand. And I walked out of the house and I walked, we lived in a cul-de-sac. And so I walked and I got across the cul-de-sac and my dad came out of the house and he goes, hey, stranger. I was like, what? And he goes, where are you going? Uh, and I said, I'm going to Legoland. Did you hold up the brochure and you were like, I'm leaving. <laughs> and he goes, that's a good plan. Are you hungry? Do you want something to eat first? Oh, Mr. Yanks. And I was like, hmm. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Stomped back inside and he made me lunch. I love that. Yeah. That was funny. That was Tom my... for the win. Tom for the win. Head of the Women and Children Protection Department of Dunspar Unit, or PPA as it's called. I'm sure it's PPA because it's something to do with the translation to English, maybe. Mm. Any Pierre Matui speaks on her experience on the case. Quote, when we first received the report, we were immediately suspicious. We wondered why they would file a missing persons report. Look at her age. She's only eight. If she's only eight, we believe we were not looking at just a missing persons case. This was most likely a kidnapping, Mm. end quote. It is worth noting here throughout the interviews that her older sister keeps saying in the interview that Angeline is seven, but she's actually eight and only, she's only actually only three days away from being nine. So just with the age gap, I'm assuming she just forgot how old she was or... Or just always sees her as... being seven a year younger it's not a huge deal because like if somebody asked me what my younger siblings age was right now i'd have to think about it right and i mean and do the math her older sister uh didn't live in the home anymore she's 30 years older than so angeline when she did live in the home Uh um, or when she last visited or something the last thing you know the last age that she heard her sister being described as yep was seven and maybe that was a year or almost two years ago you sure. said and so she just now pictures her as all right she's seven sometimes as adults we don't realize how many years have gone by because you know, for we don't children really care about age as much because for us once we hit 21 everything's the same yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> so i just wanted to note that whenever i quote yvonne she's gonna say seven but angeline was actually eight three days away from her ninth birthday however 
There was nothing amiss that happened before the sweet little girl went missing. No fight, no punishments. Her family claims no reasons to influence Angeline to run away. This turns police to suspect a more sinister reason for her disappearance. Ronnie F. Sampai, who is the former Bali police chief inspector general. I love that. What a fucking title they have. Instead of just like police chief. Yeah. Inspector general. He states, quote, When we handle missing persons cases, we have to find out where to begin, where exactly Angeline was thought to have last been seen, her last moments, end quote. The last known moments she was seen is claimed by August, the family helper, when he supposedly asked the young girl for a pencil. This is when police decide to go forward with bringing the canine unit to get a handle on the missing girl's location. Sniffer dogs continuously circle the house, but are later able to follow Angeline's scent and seem to trace her scent to the main road, which is 30 meters, or for us stateside, 98.5 feet or 33 yards, from her home. Since her home was right along the main road, this possibility of a kidnapping goes along with the investigator's original theory. Police believe Angeline had wandered towards the main road where she was kidnapped and then taken in a vehicle. Before they can investigate this theory further, the family receives a ransom demand. I did want to throw a statistic in here that shows 75% of abducted children are murdered within three days of being taken, which I think is, that is such a, that is such a scary stat. Like Mm. your, your clock is literally starting the moment that they're gone. So back in the day, the seventies and all that stuff, when they had to wait that 24 hours, that really, really fucking terrifies me. By the time of the ransom, Angeline had unfortunately been missing for a week. Police comb through Bali vigorously searching for any signs of Angeline, but find nothing. They thought the ransom would give them more of a lead, but they all turned out to be hoaxes. By now, the news had swept through Bali of the missing eight-year-old. Her middle sister, Christine, who was studying here in the States, was 28 at the time of her disappearance. She'd started a Facebook page called Find Angeline, Bali's Missing Child, and that is what this case became remembered as. The well-publicized case shocked the public so much that the community banded together, helping the family search for Angeline. The community was hanging up posters. They were helping hand out these leaflets that Yvonne had made. It seemed like the whole island was on the lookout. Repeated pleas from police and the family for information or sightings resulted in nothing useful, which of course caused the family to become increasingly frantic. Older sister Yvonne makes a statement that we hardly slept. We hardly eat. We were constantly trying to help police with any leads they received. There was no day we were not on the move trying to find Angeline. Turning in this direction is in line with their beliefs in Indonesia. At this point, Angeline had been missing for over a week. They consulted a spiritual expert and family friends were told that Angeline was still in Bali. They were then told to try and pray at a small temple in front of the Megawai family home. Putuseri was Angeline's second grade teacher. She said, we only heard a faint voice calling out, apparently crying out, Ma, Ma. The voice was soft and most of us there assumed it was Angeline calling out to her mother for help. But for me, it reminded me of a disturbing incident. According to a 2016 Jakarta Globe article, the teacher then recalls consistently noticing Angeline was getting thinner and thinner. Child was making comments of frequently being dizzy due to not being fed at home. Angeline is described as quiet, gloomy. Her face was always sad and her teacher sought the answer from the girl almost every day. It was hard for her to talk, hard for her to admit that her mother was not feeding her regularly. In addition to being malnourished, the teacher recalls the girl was almost always late to school, arriving to class, her body and clothes shabby and smelling of filth, her hair thick and full of wax-like dirt. The teacher would actually wash her clothes and even bathed her because she was so dirty, saying that the water was just a solid color of brown when she washed out her hair. Angeline had once cried because she was forced to feed the dozens of chickens they had, along with their dogs and cats belonging to the family, before she was able to go to school. This, when I read this, this was really hard for me because this reminds me of my stepmother so, so much. Like, my friends and parents were horrified that I was five and six and wasn't 
never given breakfast before school. Like, I, I think I still get shit about it now. My grandma just called me yesterday and was like, why don't you eat breakfast? And I was like, I've never eaten breakfast. Like, that wasn't a thing that my stepmom thought to do was to give a children breakfast growing up. So anyway, and then there was even a period where my stepmother refused to wash my clothes for like a month. I don't even remember what the reason was. I was a teen. So anyway, Although my... I will say there are some countries out there that breakfast isn't actually a, as big of a deal as it is here in the States. Oh. Um, we see it as this huge extra meal. Yeah, I was like, um, I get so much shit for not eating breakfast. No, the, um, the actual reason why it's called breakfast is because you're breaking your fast of not eating for a long long period of time so you have your you know and some people even call the the biggest meal of the day dinner as your lunch but Uh um and night is evening or that's your lunch or that's your meal or whatever it is and so yeah a lot of different countries uh i know spain is one of them that breakfast is maybe a piece of toast and coffee Oh, very something cool. small, and if you want to break your fast then, then you can. Otherwise, Just you, something to get you started right? in Spain. Uh, told people that you didn't have a big breakfast mm-hmm. or anything, then they were like, oh, yeah. you're supposed to have a big breakfast. That's yep. you know, part of a balanced diet. And that was the exact reaction. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, however, third square yes. meal a day. Yeah. They might need that jump start in the mornings. And you but if a little girl's being sure if dizzy. Right, and yeah. so you shouldn't go away for the day and not eat for many hours if you need that nourishment. So mm-hmm. yes, you should absolutely, even if, you know, parents don't feel like they need breakfast. Yeah. Okay, but you can see that your kid is hungry. You need to observe that and you need to, you know, send them off with a snack at least. Yep. Okay, or maybe just make a, you know, big breakfast. Or if you don't have time for it, then just get a whole bunch of to-go stuff and send mm-hmm. them with. Because yeah. you know, a granola bar something. kids need food. I'm a growing boy. Yeah. Maybe the parents just didn't have as much involvement, that's the word I'm looking for, Oh, yep. in this child's life to know when she's been bathed and fed. Mm-hmm. And... That her basic needs are being met. Right. Yeah. So, so it is good of this teacher. And I, you know, shout out to whoever this teacher yeah. was for taking care of them, taking care of these kids. Shout out to teachers everywhere. They don't get enough credit for uh, this kind of stuff. Um, I also don't get paid enough to do seriously. this shit. Yep. Jesus. But yeah, this Taking whole incident reminded me of a period for a month where my stepmother refused to wash my clothes. I, I don't even remember her reasoning just because I was a teen and she thought I was the fucking worst. Let's be real here, people. Every teen is the fucking worst. I don't know. Teenagers are the fucking worst. Yeah, but you could be on a different level. I wasn't sneaking out or <laughs> drinking or doing drugs or having sex in high school. I didn't do anything. I was so just... you were just constantly annoying your parents instead. Uh, yeah, well, maybe. Well, I knew that she hated me, so I just avoided her. (laughs) But my English teacher, Mrs. Steele, noticed that my jeans were constantly dirty, and she literally asked me if I was being taken care of at home. And then I broke down crying, and when she asked, (laughs) I had to tell her that my clothes weren't being washed by my father's shitty wife, who had been my legal guardian of the last 10 years. Hmm. Mrs. Steele asked me if I had detergent allergies, and she washed my damn clothes for me. Like, that will always... Like I said, shout out to some of the Stick with me. Yeah, it will always stick with me. Like, she noticed that my pants were dirty, continuously dirty. Like, and she looked out for me. So that, I don't know. Shout out, Mrs. Steele. If you're still teaching, you that really stuck with me. Anyway, underweight and unwashed, Endeline was presenting signs of child neglect. And when her teacher finally confronted Marguerite about her daughter's condition, Marguerite got hostile, stating that Angeline was thin because she doesn't like to eat and she's dirty because this child, before she goes to school, likes to play outside until the very last minute. Right. Sometimes there's time for a shower, sometimes there's not, because she's always playing. To her teacher, this response seemed to place the blame back on the child, that it's her own fault she's underfed and dirty, and that's 
she's just being naughty. It pointed to a cover-up for educator Putu Siri Wijananti. When she came forward to investigators with this information, a CPS visit was conducted. And this is... Sorry, I didn't... CPS, Child Protective Services. Oh, I didn't write it out that this yeah. was even after. They did a CPS visit after she was already missing, which okay. I thought was kind of different. Well, they could have been... One of the reasons why she was missing was child neglect, and they didn't know this. And so because of the oh, missing persons, it kind could of have also been one of the reasons why her parents were hesitant to file a missing person because they didn't want to get blamed mm -hmm. for something like that. Um, it could have also been at the same time, you know, sometimes children are picky with what they eat. Mm -hmm. And I will, I'm, I'm not going to say I'm going to defend the Were the you parents. a picky child? Hey, no, <laughs> no, I was not. No, my siblings were a little uh, more picky than I was, but no, I, I was not a picky child. I would just you know, eat whatever and go with whatever. And, yep. Same. You know, at, at the same time, I was kind of like, like, see mom, like, I'll eat anything you make and whatever, oh. trying to get some points in that regard. Like, oh, look, and then give me your dishes. I'll like put them in the dishwasher for you after. <laughs> Just, you know, do little things to win points. So Mike um, was a suck up, is what I'm. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm a kidding. little bit. I was. A, I was a little bit of a suck up because at the same time I was also um, kind of the the trouble child. Um, You're the middle child that comes with child, your yeah. status. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, had to. Suspicions were further raised when that visit came around, and what agents found at the home. The home was surrounded by numerous chicken coops. Which, okay, we live in Indonesia. Fine. The interior was a cluttered mess with the piercing stench of chicken feces hitting agents as soon as they stepped foot in the home. Ooh, gross. Isn't that fucking disgusting? Chickens, cats, and dogs all wandering inside and out of the house, contributing to the mounds of feces already present in the home. See? Too many pets. <laughs> Too many pets. I've been saying this. You don't... People don't need... All I love of the animals. animals. I know you love animals. Okay? <laughs> love animal. I love animals too, from a distance. I want to be surrounded <laughs> okay? by. I them. love. Uh, I'll, I'll pedal the dogs, and if a cat comes up to me and wants to be pet or wants to cuddle, fine. Okay, <laughs> uh, I, I enjoy it absolutely. Yeah, but like, you don't need fifty animals in your home to. I want to feel really loved. You don't need to live in a zoo. <laughs> So any Piramawati, which was the head of the PPA, who I mentioned earlier, was able to attend this visit. She says, we asked her, why is a house in this condition? This is not fit for a child to live here. Because of the stench and feces, none of us lasted very long in there. CPS accused Marguerite of raising a child in an uninhabitable condition. And as you can imagine, Marguerite did not take this very well. When confronted with these conditions of the home by Lifetime Asia, older sibling Yvonne says, the agent was telling my mom, you cannot live like this with a daughter. Mm. This is not a condition your daughter can live in. And he also said something about taking Angelina away from my mother when she's found. She's a woman in a mist of looking for her missing daughter. She's sad. She's heartbroken. She's tired. And somebody came and tell you they'll take away your daughter when she's found. She takes a break as she kind of breaks down. Continuing, Yvonne says, the reason for so many things in her house, she, you know, she collects things. She's a bit of a hoarder. The media or people who don't understand saw it as things, that it was not fit to have a little girl living with her, end quote. To go and visit my siblings at my father and stepmother's house. They have so much shit, like, collected things piled up all over the home that there are, like, little walkways to get from one room to the next. Like, you can't shut the bathroom door all the way, that kind of thing. And when I'd bring Archie there, I can't count how many times he would pick up a cat shit and bring it to me, like, that he found on the floor. Oh, and I'd be like... Oh, nice. I'd be like... And I'm like, put that down. <laughs> and the one time Zach went with us, my stepmother kindly offered her bed instead of us sleeping on the floor. And these like, my father built bunk beds, like ratchet bunk beds in their living room. But there's a whole bunch of fucking garbage on the beds and around the beds. Like, 
all over the floor and shit. I, I sleep in my underwear and a shirt. I, I thought there were crumbs in the bed and I lift up the thing. There's fucking dirt in their bed. They sleep with dirt. That's fucking gross. It's all natural. Ew. <laughs> I don't know, maybe they had a mud mask or something before. I've never laughed harder when he was like, I want to go home. (laughs) I even took a Snapchat video. Ironically, my parents also have chickens. So surprisingly not in the house, but that's just how they live. And that's the state of Nebraska lets them grow up. It's chill. It's cool. (laughs) I guess they think it's cute and kosher. And he speaks to the CPS investigation saying, Marguerite got so mad, so mad to the point where she chased Mr. Aris who was the lead CPS agent out of her home with the machete. Damn. Real chill. Mm. Mr. Aris reports his disgusting findings to police, just as investigators are struggling with their kidnapping theory. They want to believe Angeline was abducted by the road. However, witness accounts weren't quite matching up with that theory. There was a shop right next door to the home. And when police spoke with workers and customers, no one could place Angeline in the yard or ever even leaving the house that day. So by all witness accounts, this points to her never even leaving the home on the day of her disappearance. They also searched outside the home in the yard and turn up nothing, but police decide not to give up. Three weeks after she was reported missing, police decide to send another team to the home and give it another look over. Based on the CPS visit, paired with the witness accounts and Marguerite's refusal for future CPS visits, Police smell a cover-up. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> On Wednesday, June 10th, 2015, police make their way over to the vulgar house that was once home to the, quote, missing child of Bali. An agent notices an area by the chicken coop under a banana tree, the yard covered in more garbage, <laughs> that is particularly muddy, which he finds odd because they hadn't received rain recently. Police decide to dig about one and a half meters or five feet down. They spot a piece of cloth sticking up in the dirt. Their findings, Mm. I know, their findings stick with all CPS agents and investigators alike to this day, I'm sure, which is very apparent in the way the few who are interviewed about this case talk about it. Once excavated, one of their team members lifted the cloth, which turned out to be a corpse wrapped in a bedsheet. At this point, agents Mm. and investigators were on the verge of tears. The body was positioned so that her head met with her legs. So I'm picturing like bent and bent in half they didn't show up footage obviously but that's right. what i'm just yeah. like picturing it was yeah, tied up in the fetal position mm-hmm. wrapped in the bed sheet it was tied up with twine at the top and the bottom and then there was a doll positioned in the middle of her body because the corpse was already decayed it had the horrific stench of decomposition agents recall a smell that cannot even be imagined and cannot be forgotten the moment the body was found was one that no agents can forget all of them on the scene just imagining if it had been their own child the three weeks leading up to this moment, the island-wide hunt for the missing little girl who was buried in her own backyard. Ronnie, our retired Bali police chief, I read a quote from earlier, said this about the findings. Quote, As human beings, we were all affected. How could we not be? But we needed to find out why it is that we had to find Angeline in that state. End quote. Yvonne Megwagi recalls the moment she got the call from police asking if she was alive and well, but of course investigators couldn't say anything at that point. They just asked the family to come down to the station. Once they arrived, mother and daughter, Marguerite and Yvonne, were separated and questioned. Investigators slowly let both family members know Angeline was in fact dead. Yvonne and Margaret are naturally both in shock. Yvonne expresses feelings of the situation not being real, that she couldn't have died this way via murder. This wasn't happening, which I feel is really natural reaction to any person. I mean, I'm not speaking from personal experience, but I feel like that is the first initial reaction it's one of the stages of grief yeah denial yeah yeah yeah. but like this is a thing that would happen to other people not my sister not my family you know what i mean this isn't happening despite the grieving mother's anguish she's never given the opportunity to identify angeline's body because police do not see marguerite as angeline's mother because angeline 
is adopted. I put oh, mic drop. Sorry. What did I drop? <laughs> I put <laughs> mic. Oh my yeah. god. She was adopted. Mm-hmm. I, that really like blew me when I like read. I was reading the news of my news articles, and I was right. like, blah 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 blah. Not her mom. She was adopted. Wait, what? I was like, what? Which again, I I can't speak from. I guess not again. I can't speak from personal experience, but it it seems to me. Mm-hmm. that based off of, I guess, biology and history and, and um, everything else, adoptive parents don't necessarily always see their child as a child or as their own. They see it as a thing, as a, a responsibility, right? <laughs> and it's something that was that they're burdened with now mm-hmm. or that they took on the responsibility. Even if it was voluntary, they don't have that same connection, connection that same The love, biological the same, connection. Exactly, yep. to take care of this as a child. You know, it's more of a, a pet. Yep. Um, in, in some of these instances, that's what it has seemed like to me. Yes. Again, I don't know, are amazing. Who, yeah, yeah. You know, have, have their child and thing like that. But in this kind of a situation, it seems like this was an unwanted child or an unwanted burden or it mm-hmm. was seen as a burden to these parents uh, to take care of this child. And Even I though mean, you don't have the personal experience for me having a horrible step-parent, everything you just said is exactly how I feel. Like right. me not having that biological connection to her made it okay for her to abuse me, made it okay right. for her to verbally assault me, made it okay for her to treat me like shit. Like, right. because like you said, I'm just a pet. I'm just this annoying right. thing that I have, to, has to be taken care of. Right. And so, so I think you said it perfectly. In this situation, we haven't gotten to the uh, part where we you know, decided who, who done it. Yep. Um, <laughs> who done it? Who done it? That's the, the yeah, that's know, the big thing. Yeah. That's the big thing. The, the, the category, I guess, of mm-hmm. these, these mysteries is the whodunit. Yep. I don't know if it was on purpose or it was an accident or it was, you know, neglect to a point of she ended up dying and they decided to cover it up or yep. they killed her themselves or whatever else it was. Getting rid of this child seemed like the reaction of the mother after the fact Yep. could have been one of regret. This one by Putu Karita Victani. Angeline Marguerite Megua was born May 19th, 2007 at a clinic in the Kangu area, which is a village on the south side of the island of Bali, to a mother named Hamada, who was a housekeeper, and a father named Archmad Rosiedi, who worked in construction. Their firstborn child, Inna, lived with their father's family, and the baby they had after Angeline was named Asaya and was raised by a grandmother. It's never disclosed why none of their children did not live with them. I'm assuming due to cost, because it is a third world country, but I could neither confirm or deny this. Hamada and her husband had difficulty paying for the cost of childbirth, and someone her husband knew got them in contact with Marguerite Megua, who offered to pay for the delivery costs. However, in exchange, Marguerite wanted to adopt the child. There are two different sides to this part of the story, though. On one hand, when Hamada was contacted by police and media once this came to light, she claimed she had no intention of giving the baby to anyone. Circumstances forced her to let Angeline be cared for by someone else. Mm. Whereas Yvonne claims, quote, Angeline came into our life when she was only about three days old. The parents were really keen to give her up, asking, can you please help us? We cannot look out for us. Please look out for her. My mom really, really loved Angeline. She never once considered her stepdaughter. She was just another daughter. She was instantly part of our family, end quote. So you've got this one side that said the parents are willingly giving her up and wanting to give her up. But then on the other side, the biological side, they said it was circumstantial and that they were forced to give her up for the good of the child and they still wanted contact with her. Which, so this reminds me a little bit of the story of Annie. Uh, like, like it's a hark, not like yep, oh. Hark, not. <laughs> okay, so, I'm just Hannigan, making sure. Miss Hannigan, the um, the orphanage owner, the mm-hmm. orphanage caretaker. Whenever she would get visits from CPS or visits from 
police or something like that. Yeah. Marvel at how amazing it is to be a mother of so many children and how she loved them all so dearly and how she, you know. Was she horrible? Oh, she was the worst. Oh, yeah, she was the worst. My she, God. Um, she ended up singing a song that was um, just all about how horrible little girls are. Okay. Is that how it goes? That's how it goes. The whole <laughs> theme of the song was how annoying little girls are, and they're painting her ass. But um, Jesus for the financial gain, gain of having those children from the government. What a sack of shit! Each child was giving, you know, was benefiting her, benefiting her, Jesus, in some way. And so I don't know if that was this situation but it, you know it reminds me that people can be very two-faced mm-hmm. when it comes to taking on take care of your kids yeah <laughs> that's fucking right which i've i've been there like mike knows the deep dark shit about so does gabby but she's not here today but that adoption process wanting the best for your kid even though it means giving them up that really right. resonated wanting with me a, a lot yes yeah, yeah i wasn't really ready to be a mom to archie so like that decision to know that somebody else has jumped through these hoops they've mm. they can financially afford it they can mentally like they've been all checked out to a hundred percent have two parents that are ready and want a kid that I, I just wanted what was best for my child. So right. like having that struggle that these parents were in really resonated with me a lot. Not being in a good financial situation, you know, what whatever it may be. Anyway, Hamada, the biological mother, tells Tribune Bali that when handing over the baby, she said that the adoption was not actually passed through the courts. Would I guess consider a closed adoption here in the States, I guess? But it's this isn't legal, so I don't know what it would be. I don't know. Okay. Or similar to it. I don't know if the parents are then allowed to make contact once the child is 18. I thought that, but I don't think any part of this stuff was legal and no, not this arrangement. Definitely right. not. And even the, um, keeping, uh, keeping the child from the actual parents until she was 18 couldn't yeah. be enforced by anything other than threats. Sure. Oh yeah. Okay. Like holding over their head. Like I'm paying for your child's birth. Right. Yep. And this is my cost for that. Yep. That's what, that's how kind of how I took it too. Since this wasn't legal, though, they only got a notarized written agreement of this, which was signed and dated when baby Angeline was only six days old. Hmm. Marguerite was also married at the time to an American man named Douglas, who is also Christina's father. I put, I put, hey, she's like me, American sperm donor and Indonesian incubator. Christina's, I mean, Christina is like me. I didn't find a lot of info on Douglas, like where he is during this time. Are they still married? Why is he not in Angeline's life? I just... All I could find was that he lived in the States at the time, which is why Christina went to school here, but I couldn't find if they got divorced or where he was during this series of events. He didn't interfere with the adoption process, and they were apparently married at the time of the adoption, but only Marguerite was listed on this notoriety. At the time, Hamada had not named the baby girl. The name Angeline was given by Marguerite following her mother's first name. Both biological parents would later state that they didn't even know her first name was Angeline until the she mm. had been reported missing and it had already grown into a huge story on the news. Right. Isn't that, oh, I think that's fucking tragic. Like you're watching TV and you see this little girl is missing and you're like, holy shit, that's, that's my kid. Yeah. That's earth shattering. Yep. According to a 2015 Sarada Duwata article, biological father Archmad Rozidi admitted that he had been escorted by the Bali police three times. He was even forced to admit to kidnapping Angeline after she was reported missing on May 19th. He admitted he was very surprised when he saw on TV that Wait, the, who was this? The biological father. Oh, he took her. No, he he was like interrogated by police. Oh, okay. and 
intimidated okay. to be yeah 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 he Got was it. It, yeah he was intimidated by police to motive. admit he had, right mm-hmm. he admitted he was very surprised when he saw on tv that the baby he gave up at only three days old was reported as missing Archmad was even lured by police with money to admit to taking Angeline, terrorizing him and wanting him to admit to kidnapping, even being accused of selling Angeline. And this was all before her body was discovered. So yeah. obviously that yeah. all wasn't true. Jumping back to the investigation, Yvonne, the older sister of the missing girl, and former police chief Ronnie have contradicting statements. Yvonne claims the family was never given a chance to identify the body and that her mom was never given the chance to identify her herself. That asking the biological mother made no sense as she wouldn't have seen Angeline since she was three days old. How right, could they identify know. her? Which is true. I agree with that. Yeah. On the other hand, Ronnie, who was our chief police, states that they immediately gave the family a chance to ID her, but Marguerite was not being cooperative. So then they sought out the biological family to check their DNA and confirm okay. that way, which I believe that. Over okay. the sister. I don't know. Then the media goes into a frenzy once it becomes light that Angeline was adopted. Headlines of, quote, adopted mother and, quote, stepmother abuses and neglects stepdaughter splashed all over the local news outlets. Loads of speculation about the investigation get printed, as it seems the girl was under investigators' noses the whole time, as the poor missing girl was buried in her own backyard. Mm. Which is very fucking tragic. Police try to make sense of it all and hope the autopsy will give them the answers they've been looking for. Medical examiner Duat Rustvadi, head of the forensic medicine, takes note of finding a completely empty stomach. Not only completely empty stomach, but also completely empty from the small intestine all the way through the large intestine. Which, if our listeners remember from the Montesi case we covered last week. It takes about six hours. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And so for your digestive system to be that time capsule... Once you die, it stops working. By these findings... It means she didn't have any breakfast. <laughs> they, they think that she hadn't been fed within the last 24 hours or longer prior oh, to her okay. death because right. her intestines were even empty, Mike. Like, right. that's that's insane. Mm-hmm. There was also a cigarette burn on the back of her right shoulder. She had bruises on her face, gums, and lips, which to me indicates like she'd been punched in the face, but they don't say so. As well as circular bruise on her arm as if she'd been grabbed roughly. In addition to having many bruises throughout her body in various states of healing. Many of these bruises were still red and black, indicating that they had been inflicted within four to six hours prior to her death. After concluding Angeline had been starved and burned and beaten in her last 24 hours of life, medical examiners then turned to discover the cause of death. Marks around her neck pointed to strangulation, but they appeared to have been made post-mortem. Instead, Emmy's focus and look towards the blunt force head wound and blood clots in the brain. It is later determined definitively that the victim's cause of death was due to a violent blow or impact to the head, which had caused severe bleeding in the brain. Mm. Forensics notice a strange condition that suggests the body was buried just one day before she, or one day after, sorry, she went missing. Remembering back though, by that point in time, the family had already reported Angeline as missing and everyone in the home was already on high alert, which presents... One of two theories, which I had to look up. It's a, it's this weird hydration reaction, which breaks down the fat oils and lipids in your body and basically creates, simply put, this can only happen when a body is consistently exposed to a damp environment. However, in the days leading up to the discovery of the body, the soil was dry, no rain during the days in which she was missing, and no water naturally flowed through the gravesite. It became something we question. Why was Angeline's body found in a damp state? Was someone continuously dumping water there? End quote. If the killer was dumping water, that means that it had to be someone who had access to the backyard for the 25 days she was missing. But yeah, she used to have a woman live with her up until a few years ago when she lived in her little gated community. This girl would just live with her day in, day out and take care of her and stuff. Maybe we'll go back, Gavin, visit her, but just just kidding, Cap's not here. (laughs) 
Back to yeah. August. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Just muted it. <laughs> Dang it. Uh, we can go, Mike. You want to go to Bali? Want to go see your Oma? Rich Oma? My rich old lady? Great. She has Vacation. dementia or something. Let's so do it. That's, so, it'll be so okay. we can go and then she'll see us multiple times. There. <laughs> the only thing she can ask is, how are you? That way I and don't how have to school? be worried about the first impression going bad. That's very true. You'll yeah. just be like, oh, dang it. That time was really bad. Yep. Let's, do that, let's do that again. Yep. We can get you that Savette poop coffee. There you go. Yeah. Fancy cat poop coffee. Fancy cat poop coffee. Yeah. I'm out of coffee, so I can use some. There we go. Back to August. He had actually wanted to quit after Angeline had gone missing. But Yvonne states that they made him stay because he had been the last person to see Angeline, which was Mm. smart on her part in case he didn't flee. It doesn't take much pressure from the police for August to fold and give them a full confession. He admits he was the killer and it was all his act. He claims to have raped and murdered her. And forensics were able to confirm it is, in fact, August's clothing found with the victim's body. Nagara Wajaya Putra, a forensic and biochemist with the Bali police states, we did not detect any sperm, which most likely gives us two possibilities. That sexual assault had taken place and that there was sexual abuse, but any proof of it had disappeared because of the condition of the body with the moist environment. I hate that word. And it had been buried and found many days later or that no sexual abuse had taken place. Faced with that inconclusive evidence, police decide to try something else. Fun fact, in Indonesia, police are actually allowed to bring the suspects back to the scene of the crime and force them to reenact their crimes, which I thought was kind of cool. This helps them gain better insight to their actions, but also figure out the timeline of events. However, this reenactment does not go as planned. August states that the murder took place- it wasn't him. Yeah! Mike's too smart for this. I was going to say something just because earlier you said that the adoptive dad uh, had been coerced and, you know, they even offered to pay him for a confession. And the so bio dad? That, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When you said that August confessed, but they didn't have any evidence. It's like, well, yeah. they, did, they did the same thing. They just wanted him to confess. They wanted him to break. They wanted him to whatever. They and, just wanted someone right. to pay yeah. for those girls. Yeah. Yep. Um, and maybe that, you know, male clothing was planted there or something. Whatever. Hey. Could have been his Damn. clothing, but someone else could have had access to his clothing. Yep. Um, and why would you throw your own clothing in a grave with someone? Like, you'd exactly. Get rid of somewhere else. Yes. So August states that the murder took place in his room, in spite that police find no blood evidence to support this theory. They pull up the flooring because when there's blood, blood, yeah, it's going to seep through. in the yeah. Mm-hmm. They could find no blood splatter under the flooring when they lit that shit up with black lights. There we go. <laughs> like fuck there we go they find no blood had ever been spilled in his room at all so then he states well he went back and forth from his room to margaret's room to get the bed sheet and the rope so his story was constantly changing and didn't make much sense exactly so he's kind of scrambling to you know fit these puzzle pieces together that don't go together he wants the money for the confession grappling yeah first he says he wants to spend a couple months in jail like (laughs) maybe he realizes his family's fucking crazy yeah and he wants a break. That's that's fair. Yeah, clean place to sleep. I don't actually know how clean uh, those prisons are, but oh, there's one prison in I think it is Bali that's like really bougie. They make oh, jokes yeah. that it's like a hotel because mm-hmm. yes, it's really nice. But first, he says he had hid the body inside Vacation. a cupboard in his room. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Forensic measures and takes photos of the cupboard, and their analysis conclude this would not be physically possible to put the girl in the cupboard as Angeline was bigger than the cupboard. Yeah. Then he changed. Yeah. <laughs> Then he changes and says, well, no, no, no. He put her in this chair in the, under this chair in the hall, which forensic again disproves as her legs would have stuck out from underneath it. She's still too big to have fit. And Marguerite surely would have seen her daughter under the chair. As August's statements 
continue to change doesn't line up with the reconstruction and isn't fitting with evidence, police can only come to one conclusion. August is not the killer, which is the opposite of what I say every time we play Clue, because every time it turns out to be Mrs. White, I'm always like, it's always the fucking hell. No, (laughs) (laughs) not today. So back to the house they go, hoping for more clues. They find one of Angeline's sandals she was recorded to have last been wearing, and they find it in Marguerite's room. And it was found completely clean as though it had been recently washed. If Angeline had left the house, she would have definitely been wearing her sandals when she left. Finding this one shoe strengthens police theories that she was killed in the home by someone who lived there. Then they find a strand of rope that resembled the rope that was found around her covered body. Forensics was able to conclude that they were indeed cut from the same cord. Nonetheless, the rope and sandals aren't strong enough to convict anyone. One huge obstacle police now faced was the fact that from the day she had been reported missing to the 24 days later when her body was found has now given the killer or killers, Ronnie, are at that point he could no longer evade questions and directly told interrogator Annie Peramati that he had been ordered to confess to the crime and the murder ah. was in fact Call Marguerite. It. Yeah. And that he had only insisted in the cover-up. Based on August's account of the crime, he had heard Angeline screaming, Mother, stop, mother, stop, at around 1 p.m. on May 16th. When he rushed into the room, he claims to have seen Marguerite leaning over the girl who had already been beaten. He was then threatened and promised 200 million rupa. Marguerite said, you better not tell. Do you know what the conversion to U.S. is? I did. He, she said, you better not tell or I will kill you too. Two mil, 200 million rupa is only twelve thousand nine hundred twenty four dollars and ninety five cents here in the states because our dollar transfers so nicely over there right but still that's a lot of money over there yeah 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 it's a lot yeah everyone should go visit it's very very cheap for us (laughs) you can take twenty dollars and eat out every single fucking meal back to the threats According to a 2016 article in the San Diego Union Tribune, my only English source for this episode, August claims his employer of committing sadistic acts against Angeline, the only adopted child in the family of three children. August told the police of Marguerite slamming Angeline's head against the floor and then extinguishing a cigarette on her back to ensure she was actually dead. These allegations were consistent with the autopsy results showing cause of death due to blunt force head trauma and the burn on her shoulder. Not, I wrote that weird, not that her cause of death was caused by the burn on her shoulder, yeah, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, the blunt force trauma. Yeah. Like you said, it matched the autopsy report. Yeah, of just the, that the burn matched. Burn yep, yep. The worker was then ordered to fetch a bed sheet from Marguerite's room, wrap her in it, and bury Angeline with her doll near the chicken coop. I don't know what's up with the doll. I didn't look too deeply into that, but anyway. That like you she said. ran away with it. And... She could have been felt guilty and right. gave her a little something. Yeah. He would later state that Marguerite had originally told him to put the cigarette out on the body of her daughter, but he couldn't do it. So she did it herself. Forensics would note that there was a piece of clothing that did not belong to him in the grave. And they asked why his shirt was even placed in the grave to begin with. Because August was told to place a shirt and underwear in the girl's grave. Based on August's last statement, lining up with the autopsy and physical evidence that they had collected, this is what investigators used as their base to more closely investigate Marguerite as their prime suspect. Instead, they charged her with child neglect as they had a strong case for this. When they dealt with her as a suspect, she did not want to speak a single word. She was completely uncooperative. And whenever she did make a statement, she cried over her child, but it was crying without tears. It was dramatic, but dramatic without showing true sadness Mm -hmm. crying without sorrow is what the investigators said and he states that it was like she had two personalities suddenly she was happy and later she's mad that i was telling you earlier about miss hannigan people are very two-faced when it comes to oh oh okay yeah yes i agree is oh god that just accusations of taking care of someone and then regret afterwards and acting as if you know this is the worst thing in the world because my child is dead no you you killed her that's, you, yeah, you killed her. Yeah. 
Yeah. You did it. Take responsibility. Thank you. Yes. Well said, Mike. Yvonne says, quote, my mother was portrayed as a very evil stepmother who was abusing her stepdaughter and neglecting her. While me and my sister Christina were like these two evil stepsisters. There's not one evidence that proved that my mother neglected Angeline. Angeline is clearly not neglected child. She's cared for. There's no way. She doesn't have it in her. She didn't hurt my sister. She never even laid a hand on my sister. My mother's not perfect. I don't think any mother is perfect, but that doesn't mean she killed my sister. I truly believe my mom is innocent, end quote. To which I have to say bullshit. Like she's mm. clearly, she's very clearly malnourished. She's being late for school all if, the time. She's filthy. So think about this in in uh, Cinderella. Uh-huh. If you ask one of the evil stepsisters, your- Your opinion. You're, okay. <laughs> you're dumb. You're dumb. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. You're dumb. It's partially your fault. Treat this person right. This just, this whole story just reminds me so much of my own fucking childhood. It's just all of the things that our, our stepmother let us- and this sister I'm referring to included, like I've got one sister that I've got one sister who defends our stepmom to the ends of the earth. Like, but she let us be beat and abused by our father in front of her. And she never did anything to save us. She never lifted a finger to check on any of us or stop it. She just slammed her farm bill shut in a huffy manner. Like us being abused was interfering with her right. virtual farming. Like how annoying for you Yeah, yeah. that this is... Jeez. But, and then afterwards to be like, well, what did you do to get in trouble? That's, mm -hmm. that's gaslighting. But despite these hard facts, and these are facts, the only child abuse cases ever filed by myself were, was an, I was a sixth grader and then a high school freshman. And then again, by the facility of the school in 2020 and 2021, it's just, we're there's no document. Mine. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's just no documented proof that my stepmother ever reached out for help. Like you aided and abetted. Anyway, that's my own little tangent. This disgusting blind loyalty that Yvonne has to her mother reminds me so much of the sister that's born after me, mm -hmm. having the blind loyalty to the person who you're witnessing is letting you be abused, who's letting you be neglected. It's, it's very gross. Okay, that's my personal tangent. Can you tell I'm really pissed at yeah. <laughs> Nebraska's joke child protection services? Oh, man. The same, okay, the same as my next sister, I think Yvonne is absolutely delusional, which is crazy because she's in her late 30s at this point in time. You're making excuses. When you see a home covered in animal shit, when that ammonia hits you and you say, quote, she's just a hoarder, you're, you're fucking delusional. <laughs> she's underweight. She's constantly late. She has to be bathed by her teacher. Like, open your eyes, girlfriend, as it is for Yvonne. Because of my trauma, I unhealthily see things very black and white to one another. Even though I know there are some great situations out there, it just makes me absolutely mad with rage when people want to defend other shitty people. When there's physical, actual evidence, you can look up in a database, look at with your own physical eyes, she's being starved. There's nothing in this girl's digestive system from her stomach to her large intestine. Absolutely empty. She's coming to school late. She's covered in filth. You spend a few nights sleeping in that shit-covered home, girlfriend, and then come back and tell me she, quote, just collects some stuff. That Angeline was not neglected when all this physical evidence says otherwise. Unless you want to circle back like your mother had and blame the victim for being playful and not wanting to eat. She's a fucking kid. I don't. So there are some situations where uh, families are struggling, where the parents do really care about their child and the child is still malnourished and the child is still not taken care of necessarily. Mm -hmm. um, even though the, the family does still love them, maybe the family can't always provide mm -hmm. that safe environment. And I'm not 
one to judge whether or not that is a safe environment for a kid. I, you know, it's, it's up to the authorities to uh, determine that. That's why we have child protective services. Sometimes it is unfortunate when, you know, child protective services has to come in and say, this is not fit for a child. And, you know, it is tough for some families. However, treating your child as a, as a thing, as a responsibility. Yep. Uh, rather than as a person, mm-hmm. I think is is never okay. Even if they say that they were in rough circumstances, you still have to you know treat your child in a better way. So there there is definitely child neglect and child abuse out there, and it was good for uh, the neighbor to speak up on something. And yeah. so um, you know if if you do see something like that, see something, say you see something, say something. That's absolutely what I'm uh, advocating for. Yeah, because it is a problem, and there are different resources that you can go to, different people that you can talk to, but you do have to also look out for the family members. The head of the PPA, who was very involved in this case, Eni Peramawati, according to the Jakarta Post, published on the day of the sentencing, on Monday, February 29th, 2016, Marguerite Christina Megway was found guilty of premeditated murder of little eight-year-old Angeline and was sentenced to life in prison. You know, I mean, pro-death, but... Uh, whether or not those com- uh, convicted of those crimes were male or female, because sometimes that does have to... That plays a part sometimes. Mm. That's a good question. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the United States, it's something with gender. I, I'm not. Yeah. Oh, um, interesting. So I'm not sure of the. Uh, but I recently heard that. Again, I can be wrong on the numbers, mm-hmm. but I believe this is around true. Mm-hmm. That on average, males in the United States get up to sixty percent worse sentencing than females do. Oh, as there's you know, a, a lot of time or different penalty or severity mm-hmm. of pen, uh, penalties goes. There is another case where I know it is a woman, like a young 19 year old woman. And right. she did originally get death by firing squad in Indonesia. Okay. And then it was changed. Yeah. Because she's an American citizen. She was there on vacation when she committed the murder. It's kind of touch okay. and go kind of a yeah. thing. And that I and will cover wanted, it later, but it might be maybe a little seems bit. Like they wanted to like make an example first and then like, all right, all right. You proved your point. Now let's get serious. And what are we really going to yeah, with? Yeah. Yeah. When it comes to child abuse cases, I know my abusers will never see the inside of a jail, let alone a firing squad. Mm. And I want, there's something in me that wants that justice that wants every other child abuser in the world to have the fucking worst. So for me personally, I feel like you do deserve death by firing squad for putting have, your hands. I have heard some, uh, some on stories, a child. I guess, kind of on the positive note, mm-hmm. that once they're in prison, there are those in prison who do believe the same, that they <gasps> should get punished oh, more severely. Yes. Um, And they do conspire. And that's why they get the shit beat out of them. Right. Yes. Yes, yeah. I do. It's... So anyone who messes with kids, usually Kids, gets, yeah. Yeah, anything having to do with, with kids. Yes. Um, usually gets some kind of prison justice. Yes. As it were. Thank you for and pointing that out. Not, I forgot about that. You know, I know that's not, not condoned. It's yeah. not, you know, right that uh, they don't get actually served justice in the justice system. But right. that's, you know, something that makes you sleep a little Maybe bit Maybe for some families would right. kind of like a teeny tiny part of right. justice, quote unquote, being served. Right. But yes, I agree. Thank you for saying that because I totally forgot that, that that is a thing that happens. Mm-hmm. Whether that's adopted, step, biological girlfriend or boyfriend's child, you have a legal and just a fucking human obligation to look out for the well-being of children. I hate to sound really cliche, but children are our fucking future. Like, they are innocent little people. Like, they're not placed on this earth for you to beat the shit out of and just so you can feel like a bigger person. And and if you don't, I think you deserve the absolute fucking worst. Here you get your rocks off as an adult belittling and abusing kids. Go to, go to therapy. Go figure out what your problem is because I don't 
it's not the literal child. It's it's something within you that leads you, obviously, to abusing other people, let alone the little people. So August, the male helper, was only sentenced to either 10, 10 years or 12 years. My sources kind of varied on this. Either way, that sucks because he was only 22 or 23 when he got sentenced. So he'll still be able to get out and live a full fucking life when his time is served. And that's if... He doesn't get out on good behavior. Our homie, retired police chief Ronnie, personally escorted the girl's body at the request of her birth parents to have her returned to them for proper burial. Yvonne ends the interview with Lifetime Asia saying this, quote, what she, her mother, wants the most is to finally be out of prison and to do what she always wanted since what happened to Angeline is to have a proper burial for her, end quote. To which I gotta say, don't worry, girlfriend. Someone else who didn't get a chance to know her handle it. They gave her a proper burial. <laughs> Angeline was described by teachers as a soft and quiet girl. She primarily spoke to her caregiver, Marguerite, in English and was, of course, fluent in Indonesian. Despite her adopted older sister sticking up for Angeline's killer, I don't believe they are, quote, like evil stepsisters. I think that they're just a bit disoriented due to their loyalty to their mother. There is this really cute video out there of Christina and Angeline where... She's like, who's your favorite sister? And you can tell she's very affectionate toward the girl, despite the age difference. Angeline was standing by one, feeding herself by three, and counting in both Indonesian and English fluently by six. I wish I could find more information about what she liked and her personality was like, but all the articles wanted to focus on the end result, which was the sentencing of Marguerite and August. And although that is important, um, I just like to give something about the kids mm. specifically when we when I do these stories. So... I apologize. Yeah, that's a good point. I'd say, you know, focus more on how um, how these kids lived. Yeah. How they, you know, what, what they brought to the world. You know, and if it was nothing is, even something as small as a smile. It's yeah. just, you know, smile to someone else's face. Yeah. Is always good. It's good to have something to remember them by. Like, I know that these were just milestones. But happened. Yes. Because yes. it wasn't something they could, they could help. And so yes. remembering, remembering them in a better light. They're not exciting to then they're they might not be specific but it's all that i could find so i just wanted to throw that in there that's good and i also apologize for being so hateful to my own story of child abuse but it is a rage that literally only other victims of child abuse can understand that it's and i my best friend layton described it perfectly to me 11 years ago he's like it's like an insatiable rage a need for justice that i know will never come so as an adult who's had six plus years of therapy and I'm literally on PTSD drugs to help me just get enough sleep at night to not have night terrors about my past, I'm, I'm finding I'm not the only one who has these horrific experiences. And knowing that there are other people out there like me that experience the same things and feel these same things because of their trauma, it helped me. Like finding Leighton, for example, who was abused in a very similar fashion as I was, also at the hands of a step-parent in addition to others, really helped me find my voice. And that is the literal reason I'm writing a book about it. It's still not talked about a lot today. Child abuse just in general. Why? Children are literal helpless small people who they have no voice and the people who should be standing up for them and be their voice are instead beating them down. So I just want to go forward saying I refuse to ever be quiet about this issue and in sharing my experiences with child abuse, I hope it encourages someone else to come forward and tell their story or encourages them to go to therapy or to let them know it is okay to be medicated. It is okay to admit that you need help because it helps. So just kidding. I guess I don't apologize for being so angry about it. I apologize for bumming you out this Thursday with my child abuse case, but that is my choice for this week. Good choice. Yeah. 
Thanks, Mike. Mm -hmm. Thanks for being my friend, even though I'm broken. (laughs) (laughs) I'm here with you. We're good. Yeah. We've all got baggage. Come on. We're all in the same broken, rickety mental health boat. I'm not saying I'm, you know, any comparison to, you know, the things that you've gone through, but. uh, It's not a contest. You know, right. And mental health doesn't discriminate on past and people and gender and anything. You shouldn't feel bad that you haven't had as haven't had the same experience as someone else to be able to be empathetic towards them. This is true. Mm-hmm. For the longest time before I became like vocal about my abuse though, I felt weird being with normal people who did have loving Define normal families, like involved parents, I guess. Parents who call you once a week and check in and text you and Snapchat you. That to me, it made me feel like a weirdo, but mm. I going, It wasn't until I went through years of therapy that I realized, you know what, those are just like my bumps in the road and that made me who I am. Mm -hmm. And if my story can help somebody else, then that's, I guess, what I want to do. So, so yeah, that's my story for this week. That's my choice for this week. Angeline Megawai, and I'm probably butchering her last name, but she was also known as Bali's Missing Child. So, yeah. All right. Until next week, guys. Bye. (laughs) You never say bye. I don't have a tagline. I don't need to say bye. They know. Yeah. They're going to miss me. He's going to Irish goodbye. They're going to miss me. Gabby, where can they find our podcast? You can find Sophie's Choice Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, or wherever you like to listen. Make sure to follow and leave a review if you enjoyed this episode. Email your spooky stories to Sophie's Choice Murderies at gmail.com and make sure to like and follow at Sophie's Choice Podcast on Instagram and TikTok. All our links are in the show notes. We'll chat with you murderies next week. Stay spooky.